Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, as my brother Ujin shared this morning, that you have been really good to us, and that is evidently true. And the best evidence of your goodness to us are changed perspectives, changed hearts, changed affections. There are visible changes that are occurring in our church, that is constantly occurring in our church, and is all due to um, you using your word to influence, impact people's lives. We pray for that continual grace and miracle and power here this morning, that as we sit under your word, may these words be true, be real, be the thing that, be the words that leads us to you so that we will not only be people who listen, but may we be people who live out these words. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is the last day that we're going to study the Sermon on the Mount. And as I announced last week, that we're going to begin our series on 1 Corinthians. There's like 17, 18 chapters. I have no idea how long that's going to take. Because we did three chapters of Matthew, and we were here for like a year. So I don't know. Maybe I'll retire after I finish 1 Corinthians. It's going to be 30 years probably. Um, so... Before we go into 1 Corinthians, um, we've got to conclude the Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, the Sermon on the Mount is, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we've done, a, I think, like six, seven months studies on the Sermon on the Mount. And what the Sermon on the Mount basically is, is Jesus' description of what a, what a child of God looks like, right? He gives us a clear, detailed depiction, a description of what a, chi- what a child of God looks like what their internal realities are, right? What they believe, how they live. Sermon on the Mount, in Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also teaches us how the children of God should live. He gives us clear instructions of how a children of God should live in this world. I think, and, these, and the reason why we started this series is because I think, especially those of us, or all of us, whether you're raised in a church or not, have a certain idea about who Jesus is and what a Christian is. But rather than having, rather, rather than having a preset idea of what a Christian is, of what, what, what a child of God is, we need to understand from, the, from Jesus himself what, how he defines what a Christian is and how a Christian ought to act. Right? So... But the more we study these words of Jesus, the more we realize the, the, what we understood to be Christianity is very different from what Jesus tells us what, 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 what Christianity is. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I work at a law firm in D.C. And my experience in the last couple of years as I was working in this law firm is I'm, I'm, I'm noticing that Christianity is very offensive to a lot of young people in D.C. Before the D.C. law firm, I used to work for a corporation in Virginia, and those people were older, right? Like, they were like, you know, like my age or a little bit younger. So I would tell them about faith, and they won't get offended. It was great, right? And I thought, wow, people really, if I just reasonably present Christianity, they're going to believe it. I, I feel all confident and stuff. But in the belly of the beast, in the law firm in the downtown D.C., where people are young, educated, and hip, right? When you 
when I present the message of Christianity, they are offended. I'm offending people left and right, hence the call to HR, right? And what makes Christianity so offensive? As I was, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back. By the way, for my coworkers who are listening to this, and there's some of them who do, I love you, right? And I think of the world of you, but let's be honest, you're offended. And the reason why they're offended is the exclusive, is the, they're offended because of the exclusive claim of Christianity. They're offended because of the exclusive claim of Jesus Christ. The unbelieving people, especially the hip, educated young millennials of D.C., right, think there is, there is no right and wrong, think everything is relative, think everything is gray. They don't, they don't, they're not comfortable with exclusive claims. They're not comfortable with black or white, right and wrong, right, good and bad. They're not comfortable with those terms. They don't, they don't like exclusive claims. But if you look at the claims of Jesus Christ, if you actually study the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes incredibly exclusive claims. What are some of the claims that Jesus makes on the Sermon on the Mount? Right? He's, he, I mean, Pastor, we just talked about this last week. Right? The, the exclusive claims in the Sermon on the Mount is this. Jesus is saying there's only two ways to live. There's only two doors in life, wide door and a narrow door. There aren't many doors. There's only two doors, doors that leads to me and doors that lead to destruction. There is no third way. What else did Jesus say? He says there's only two groups of people. That's what Pastor William talked about last week. I'm glad he did it so that I didn't have to add it because it's pretty offensive. Jesus last week says there's only two types of people in the world, those whom he knows and those who he, who, who, who he doesn't know. There are many different types of people. You either are known by Christ, or you are not known by Christ. Once again, exclusive claim. And today he also makes another exclusive claim. He says there's only two ways to build a life in this world. You can either build your life on me, or you build your life anything else but me. There are no other ways. There is a narrow door or the wide door. There are those whom Christ knows or doesn't know. There's only those who build his life on him and those who don't. It's very exclusive. He's saying it's either left or right, right or wrong. Me or, any, me or destruction. That's what he's saying. And it's very offensive to the modern person. If I weren't a Christian, I would be offended by me too. And, I, and, that's, and that's how Jesus concludes his sermon. Jesus, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, gives us all the description of what a Christian looks like and how a Christian ought to live. Right? And Jesus concludes his sermon by, by reminding people of, that, that of the fact that there's only two options. It's either him or destruction. Yikes. So let's talk about, let's talk about the final thing that he talks about today. Once again, what we're going to talk about today is that Jesus says there's only two ways to build a life. Either on him or anything else but him. 
And Jesus uses the illustration of the foundation of a building. Back in Palestinian, Palestinian times, I guess like back in Jesus' days, there's only two ways to build, to build a house, I, I suppose. Or two, there's only two foundations to, where, 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 that a person can build a house on. You can either build your house on, you can use, either use the rock as the basis of, of your house, or you can use sand as the basis of your house. People can either build their found, use rock as a foundation of their home, or they can use sand as a foundation of their home. And Jesus is saying, you need to build your house on the right foundation. Because when the stresses of life come, when the stresses of things come, if you build your house on the wrong foundation, then, then your life is going to fall. Jesus says, there's only two ways to build a life in this world. One way is to build your life in me. What does it mean to build your life on Christ? You build your life on Christ means you, 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 are, you become a disciple of Christ. You, you, you begin to think, think, think your thoughts after his thoughts. Your, his standard becomes your standard. What he wants is what you want. right? You live in constant communion with him. You live in constant obedience to him. That's what it means to build your life on him. He says you can only either build your life on him or build your life on anything else. And there are many things that people build their lives on, right? Some people build their lives on children. Some people build their lives on their careers. Some people build their lives in the name of their church. Some people build their lives on their bodies. Like the rabbit hole that I, like the YouTube rabbit hole that I frequently fall into these days is bodybuilding YouTube channels. I love bodybuilders, right? Oh, man. I don't know why, obviously, I do, right? So, like, I love it. And it, because I, YouTube knows that I love bodybuilder things, so they constantly give me bodybuilder channel feeds. It's fantastic. And what is one thing clear about those bodybuilders is they are building their lives on their bodies. Their lives are consumed with what they eat, how much water they drink, how much workout they do, how much sleep they get. That's all they are doing. They're building their lives on their bodies. Some people, especially, you know, high school, middle school age, high school age mothers of, of this, Asian mothers of this area, build their lives on their children. They are, in, they are intense on how they, you know, schedule programs for their kids. Because they believe their kids' success, right, it's the, it, it like, holds the secret to life. There are many, and, there, and some people build their lives and their careers, but they work all the time. Do you know anyone like this who works all the time? You either base, and those people are living, their, they're, they're building their lives on these things. Jesus says there's only two ways to build a life. You build your life on me, or you build your life on anything else. There is no middle ground, you know. I think modern churchgoers think that it is perfectly possible to build your life on Christ and also build your life on your career. It, people think it is perfectly possible for you to serve money and also Christ. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is no other way. You either build your life on me or build your life on anything else. It doesn't mean, of course, the following Christ doesn't mean quitting your job and only doing Bible studies. Clearly, that's not what he means. 
but even though you may work the same job as the other uh, that your coworkers will be working on, there's a difference. There's a difference in which how you live. Even, even though you may work at the same job, there is a difference in what you live, work for, what you live for, how you treat your people, how you work. There is a difference. Are you building your life on Christ? Or are you building your life on anything else but Christ? That's the question. And this is an important question because Jesus is saying, one day, what you are are living for, what you're building your life on will be revealed. One day, it will be clear what you built your life on. If you build your life on him, eternal life, If you are not building your life on him, there are consequences. What are you building your life on? Is it him or anything else but him? The question is, how do you know? How do you know whether you're building your life on Christ? Jesus tells us today, verse 24, Jesus says, one of the clear evidence of the fact that you are building your life on him is this. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. How do you know whether you are building your life on him? You listen to his word and you do them. You listen to his word and live his word out. You listen to his word and you obey him in your life here. That's how you know you are building your life on him. God, Jesus first says, whoever listens to these words of mine, these words that Jesus talks about, he's mentioning the Sermon on the Mount. Right? He's mentioning what he says on chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And it is, and embrace, we, we, we are people who experience firsthand the importance of listening to his word. I think, you know, before I joined Embrace, like five years ago, one of the sisters who used to go here had a vision, she says. Like, she, like I went through a very long interview process, like three months. It's like working for, interview for Google, for crying out loud. So in those three months of intense, you know, not intense, but just long interview process, one of the sisters who interviewed me, or like one of the leaders, like leaders of the group, she, she, she said she was praying for me, and in her sleep she had a vision. And the vision was, Isaiah, was, was Ezekiel chapter 37, the valley of dead bones. If you don't know Ezekiel chapter 7, 30, 37, I suggest that you go and you read Ezekiel chapter 37. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel has a vision. God shows Ezekiel a vision. And it's a valley of dead bones. Ezekiel sees a vision and there's a valley, like a valley full of dead bones. And God tells Ezekiel to preach. And Ezekiel preached. And as Ezekiel preaches God's word, these dead bones come alive. And that's the vision that my, that, that sister gave me. And I think that vision came true. Because there is, there is this incredible growth and transformation that is happening in Embrace. And it's true. Right? I can look at a lot of your faces, and there is clear transformation that happened to you. And it, it happened because of the Word of God. 
Right? I, I'm a very simple man. I don't, I don't know much. I don't know how to make programs. I don't know how to decorate buildings. I don't know anything. All I did was come and faithfully try to faithfully preach and pray, and God used it to change lives. Therefore, the Word of God, listening to the Word of God, is very, very important. Right? Faith, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes from the hearing of God's Word. Right? Um, Ezekiel, Acts chapter 2, how was the early church built? It was built, on the fun, it, it was built as the people get together, listen to the word of God, and they study the word of God together, and that's, and that's one of the ways in which the early church grew. So listening to the word of God is vast, is very important. But just listening and not doing is incomplete. It's not enough. Listening to the word of God, but not obeying it, it's, will make the whole practice unfruitful. And James chapter 1 would say, if you listen to his word, but don't practice it, it will make your faith useless. Yes, listening to the word of God is important. And I will devote my entire life preaching and teaching the Word of God. But if we don't obey it, what good is it? Um, this guy, Max Lucado, is it Max Lucado? I'm, I'm confusing Max Lucado with someone else. Is it Max Lucado? Oh, Chuck Swindoll, right? Remember, my Max Lucado, Chuck Swindoll, same guy. Chuck Swindoll gives, gives this an example, right? Listening to the Word of God and not doing it. It's like a CEO, let's say I'm a CEO of Embrace, right? And I got like, and I got, I get, I get a vision. I go, oh, like I'm a pastor of Embrace, but I want to expand our operation to Europe. I want more Europeans to come to join our church. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Europe for a year, right? Go to London, go to Spain, right? Go to Italy. And I'm going to like try to go evangelize to people in Italy, right? In, in, in Europe. So I said, Pastor Ujin, while I'm gone, right? Pastor Ujin, you, you have the con here, right? You take care of Embrace US. I'll take care of Embrace Europe, right? And Pastor Ujin goes, what do you want me to do, right? And I'll say, don't worry, Pastor Ujin. I will email you every day of exactly what you need to do, right? I will tell you what you need to tell Hyo. I will tell you what you need to tell the small group leaders. I will instruct you every day what you need to do. And Pastor Ujin goes, okay, let's do it, right? So I go to Europe, and I write an email every day, right? I write an email at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. By the way, these guys are used to my 3 a.m. emails. I email them, and Pastor Eugene gets it, right? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, and I go, did you get it? He goes, yes, we got it. And I go, good, good, good. And so we do it for a year. And I come back, and there's no one here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I come back. Maybe, maybe it gotten bigger or something, but it's just filled with partiers, right? And it, it's filled with sinful living, Right? And it's filled, it, it, it's a mess. And I go, Pastor Ujin, what happened? Didn't I email you? And he said, yeah, yeah, we got your email. Then, why did, then what happened? What, what happened? And Pastor Ujin says, we love your email so much. So much, Pastor Jay. That we had small groups devoted to studying your emails. Right? Fairfax group studied your email. Burke group studied your email. We had large group every six months come together to discuss how great your email was. But no one really did it, anything about it. 
we came in, we listened, and we discussed it. We felt good about it, but we didn't do anything about it. That's like what Jesus is saying. What good is what, I, what he preaches if we, will not, if we will not submit it? What good is it if we just merely agree with it but not do it? Prime example is this. One of the key qualities, the most essential qualities of a Christian is a recognition of, their sin, of our sins and to be repentant of our sins and asking Christ for forgiveness. Right? That's, that's how you become a child of God. Let's say I preach the word, we listen to the word of God and we feel convicted of the word of God. But if we don't take the time to actually think about the conviction that we feel, and if we don't actually take the time to pray and agree with God that we are sinners, and if we don't take the time to actually think about and agree that it is through Christ's blood that, I am, that we are saved, if we don't take the time to respond to the gospel, how can we say that the gospel will have changed our lives? It is one thing for me to preach and for you to be convicted, and that's important. But if that conviction does not re- lead to a response, a personal persuasion that, that, that yes, we, you deserve help, but yes, but even though we deserve help, Christ forgave you, and Christ accepts you as his own. If you don't take the time in your personal life to actually think about it and respond to it, how can the gospel be true to you? Are you listening to his word? Or are you actually just, are you only listening? But are you living it out? Let's go. First, James chapter 1, verse 22 to 26. I love audiovisual people. Let's read it together. Is it up? Yes. Let's read it together. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Paul is, James is saying, a faith, a religion that only hears but that does not do is worthless. It's worthless, he says. Being only a listener and not a doer, the religion is worthless. What does he say in verse 25? He says the law of God is the perfect law that gives liberty. He says the law of God, the word of God, gives freedom. Look at what Jesus teaches in Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. The things that he instructs leads to freedom. I'll give you an example. Jesus says forgive. When you pray, pray, forgive our sins as we forgive the sins of other people, right? As, I, I, I'm sorry. 
Give us this day, day. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus is saying the most important, one of the most important part of your life is to be able to forgive people who have wronged you. People forgiving other people, that leads to freedom. Did you know that? I'll give you an example. Nelson Mandela. You know who Nelson Mandela is? Do you know who Nelson Mandela is? Oh, I'm, I'm impressed. He was in prison for 27 years in South Africa because he was standing up to apartheid and racism. But the, but the predominantly Caucasian government, South African government, imprisoned him for 27 years for standing up to them. And after 27 years, he gets out of jail. But one of the first things that he does after getting out of jail is forgive his captors. And someone asked him, why are you forgiving these people who unjustly imprisoned you for all this time? Nelson Mandela said this, if I'm released from jail, but if I don't forgive these people, then I'm still in prison. He says, if I hold on to the hate, if I hold on to the bitterness, if I just still let that control me even after I'm released from jail, I am still their prisoner. The only way to be set free is to forgive them. He is confirming what Jesus is saying. These, this word of God, these things that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, if you obey them, that will lead you to freedom and life. But if you don't obey it, you're still in your sins. And you're still imprisoned. Jesus says, do not use people for lust. Right? But if you're continually using people for lust, you're still imprisoned by those desires that are harming you and the people around you. You not only need to listen, but do. Otherwise, there's no life in you. Jesus says, you need to be hearers and doers. And by listening and doing, you are proving yourself and to God that you are building your life on, on Him. How do we know that we are properly obeying Him and properly building our life on Him? How do you know? Jesus said, you will know when the storms are coming. Chapter 20, verse 25, he says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. But the house that was built on the rock did not fall, because its foundation was on the rock. The way you know what you're built on, and the way you know that you are properly living a life of obedience is, you will know when the flood and the storms of life come. And they will come. The rain, the, the flood, and the wind, right, are the storms of life. And there are two things that these storms of life mean. It's a metaphor, right? But there's two meanings to this metaphor. Number one, the first meaning of, of the rain, the flood, and, and, and the wind, the storms of life, the first thing, the, the first metaphor, the use of metaphor of this is to describe the trials of life, right? Jesus says, when you live in this world, rain, flood, and wind will beat your life. Troubles will come to you. 
They will. Young people, they will. It doesn't matter whether they go to Harvard or Princeton or Yale or Nova. I love Nova. I wish. Never mind. I, like, no matter where you went to school, trials of life, the storms of all life will blow on you. No matter what your income is, no matter what your tax bracket is, the trials of life will come to you. Unexpected difficulties, unexpected people, disappointments, failures, unemployment, rejection, it will come to you. God will allow it to come to you. God will allow those things to come to you. Why? Because those things, the trials of life, God will, reveal, God will use to reveal to you exactly what you're built on. The trials of life will show you what your life is really being built on. Did you know that? If, you are, if your life is truly built on Him, if you're striving to live an obedient life, if you truly understand Christ, if you're truly building your life on Him, when the trials of life come, you know what happens to you? Jesus Christ would become more clear to you. Do you know that? Yes, when bad news happened, you will freak out. When bad news happened that I was getting laid off, I freaked out. Remember? Like, I shotgunned my resume all over America. Remember? People feel betrayed by that. Sorry. You will freak out. When the trials of life freak out, yes, everyone will emotionally freak out for a little bit. But those who are built on life on Christ... During those, in the midst of those trials, Jesus Christ will be clearly be manifested to you. It's true. Like I said, John Piper, right? He got diagnosed with cancer, pancreatic cancer. Success, the probability of survival, not very high. What does John Piper do? Write a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. He says, cancer is a gift that God gave me so that I can know him better. It's true. When John Piper got diagnosed with cancer, Christ became real, so he had to write a book about it. When John MacArthur was diagnosed with, with, with cancer, he was excited. Yes, I'm going to heaven. When they said, you're cured, he was kind of bummed out. Man, I got to stay here again a little bit longer? Oh, That's how you know whether he truly believes in what he preaches. Look, 2008, when I got unemployed, like freaked out, right? Went to my basement and just like, you know, that was before Netflix, so I don't know what I occupied my time. I was like freaking out. Right? But then I studied First Peter in the afternoon, and I filled with hope, and Christ became clear at, at, in the evenings. The next morning, I freaked out again, but I re read First Peter again, and I prayed again, and through it all, Christ became clear to me, real to me in those times. That's how you know. That's how you know what you're built on. Look, I met a person, I'm, I'm talking to a person, and like, these bad things are happening to her. Like, like people are like, just like, things are happening to her, like this person. And like, it's bad and people, like, and, and, and just, just, it's difficult. Right? But the way this person is reacting to the adversities of her life, she's doing it in a Christ-like way. And when I heard her try to do things in a Christ-like way, it filled my eyes with tears because I know she's doing that because Christ is being revealed to her.
when you are going through trials, when things are not going your way and people are rejecting you and jobs are not going your way, do you see Christ in the midst of all, in the midst of all that? That's how you know whether you're living a life of obedience. If Jesus Christ is being revealed during the storms of life, is he being revealed to you during the storms of life? Storms of life not only, talk, not only means the difficulties of this world, storms of life also means the judgment of God. Storms in the Old Testament used to symbolize, used to describe judge, God's final judgment. How do we know? Noah's Ark. Storms and flood symbolizes God's judgment. One day, 1 Corinthians says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 13 says, One day, did you know that all our works will be judged on the day of judgment? When Jesus Christ comes back on the day of judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 13 says, Is it up? It says, your work, your work, how you live, will be tested through fire. And what will be revealed as your works are tested through fire on the day of judgment, it will reveal what your true foundations are. One day, before the judgment seat of God, how we have lived will be tested. And what will be revealed in those tests is whether you truly lived your life based on Christ. Are you ready for that day? The reason why God allows you to go through storms of life here is to make sure that you are being built on him before the day of judgment. Because when the day of judgment, when your, when your foundation, true foundation are revealed on the day of judgment, it will be too late. That's why God allows, introduces storms of life so that you will see clearly what you're being built on. And if you're not being built on Him, you need to repent and ask God to build, to allow you to build your life on Him before it's too late. I'll give you an example. Listen, in the day of judgment, there's no one who will disagree with God. Even those, even sinners, even people who will be condemned who will be faces eternal destruction, they will agree with God that even though they are suffering, they will agree with God that it is right for them to be, to, 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 to be destroyed. And that's clear in the Bible, right? No one disagrees with God. When God reveals himself, no one disagrees with God. In the day of judgment, when what, you, what, you, what, what, what is in you is clearly revealed, there is no one who will disagree with him. Let's say you spent your entire life thinking that you believe in the gospel. Thinking, yeah, Jesus died for me. Yeah, I'm a child of God. Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven because I believed in his name. Let's say you just had a superficial understanding of the gospel. But you weren't really personally persuaded by it. But when you go before the judgment seat of God, when everything about you is revealed to the universe, if you were truly persuaded by the gospel here, when what is in you is being revealed in front of God in the universe, you will say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I never believed. Yeah, it's right for me to go. Do you understand? 
the superficial understanding of the gospel will not save you. You will not be able to claim it in the judgment seat of God. That's why God allows storms of life to happen to you, so that you will see whether you truly believe in the gospel or not. Whether you will truly see whether you truly belong to him or not. Are you being built on Him? Are you building your life on Him? Or are you building your life on anything else but Him? How do you know that you are not building your life on Him? If you do not obey what He says. (coughs) Jesus says, Anyone who listens to these words of mine and, and do not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. If you're a listener but not a doer, you have the wrong foundation. Who are the people that Jesus describes, talks about in Matthew chapter 6, I'm sorry, 7, about those who only listen but do not do? Who are the type of examples that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 7 about those people who only listen to God's word but not do them? Number, number, the first group of people, people who enter the wide gate. These are people who claim to be believers, who claim to listen to God's word, but they enter through the wide gate and they do everything that everyone else in the world does. They listen to God's word. Yeah, 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 that's good. And they joyfully receive it. But the way they live their lives, they live their lives exactly like everyone else who enters through the wide gate. Another group of people that Jesus gives examples in Matthew chapter 7, foolish teachers, false teachers. These teachers... Teach the Word of God. Teach the Bible. And Jesus doesn't criticize what they're teaching. He doesn't criticize what they're teaching. And maybe what they're teaching is right. Maybe what they're teaching is actually biblical. Right? And maybe they're more passionate than me when when they're preaching. But these people, Jesus says, have no fruit in their lives. The way they live their lives are exactly the same as unrepentant people. These are just because you preach and you do, it doesn't mean that you that you are being built on him. What's another group of people that Jesus gives examples of? People who say last week, Lord, Lord, look what I've done in your name. I have prophesied, performed many miracles, even the demons obey me. Who are these people? These are the people who are involved in ministry. Lord, Lord, look what I've done in your name. I prophesied, which means I preached in your name. My ministry was successful. My ministry bare fruit in your name. Why? Even the demons obey me. But Jesus says, I never knew you. Why? Because they are lawless, which means they are not obeying the word of God. Just because you are in ministry, just because you're a teacher, just because you even think that Jesus loves you, that's not evidence of the fact that you're being built on him. Listen, ministry is not easy. It's hard. They say three of the most stressful professions, doctor, lawyer, pastor. Right? Two of three I got. Ministry is not easy. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the weak. It's not. Right? Free sermons takes long hours. People constantly criticize you. 
that's okay. But people don't grow the way that you want them to grow, right? You think they're growing, but, they're, but then they run away. It's, it's, it's not easy ministry. But you know what's more difficult than ministry? You know, what it is, you know what's more difficult than being a lawyer? Not, using, not weaponizing my lips and spreading gossip about someone. That's hard. You know what's, easy, you know what's harder than preaching? Fighting my lust. You know what's hard than counseling? Not judging other people. Forgiving them. Not downsizing people and think of them however I want to think of them. That's hard. Preaching is a breeze compared to that. Ministry is a breeze compared to me actually trying to forgive people who have wronged me. Jesus is telling me the evidence of your whether you're being built on me is not how well PJ preaches, but it's how PJ lives. The evidence of whether you are being built on him is not the ministry that you do. It's not the agreement of the word of God that you're, that you're agreeing with. It is how you live. How do you treat people who disagree with you? How do you fight your lust? Those things, are those things telling you that you're being built on him? Or are you the guy, a person who's on the wide gate? Do you know? How? Do you, then the question is, then how do you, if you're just merely a do, listener of God's word and not a doer, how do you become a doer? If you're clearly, if your life is not being built on it, if your life is clearly built on anything else but him, how do you become a person who starts to build your life on Christ? Secret, I think, is in verse 28 and 29. You need to recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. After the people listened to Jesus' sermons, they were amazed by his authority. They say he's not teaching them like the scribes taught us. The scribes, right, when they're teaching them, they always revert back to some form of authority, whether it is scripture, whether, it's, whether it is tradition. They, they relied on some form of authority. Jesus did not rely on any, any authority when he teaches. Why? Because he is the authority. He is God. The words, when the person who says these words is the creator of life, is the logos, it is the foundation of the universe. He needs no authority. The way you become a doer of God's word and not just a listener, you need to recognize Jesus' authority. You know what salvation is at the end of the day? It is switching the authorities of your life. Before salvation, 
the authorities of your life for, come, came from many sources, whether it is from your parents, it is or for your internal expectation of yourself, whether it is society. You have other masters. There, there were other authorities who spoke to your life. But when you're saved, your mind and heart and emotions recognizes Jesus is the authority. And when you recognize him to be your authority, you will automatically do what he wants you to do. Do you understand? Look, I love my workouts. Like, I'm a big Peloton pusher. Peloton has all these different workouts, right? I can run outside. There are classes to run outside. There are classes for the bike. There are classes of all these things. And I love those classes because I'm being told what to do, right? Sprint for a minute. Sprint for two minutes. Like, okay, so I sprint for two minutes. I don't know the guy. But I do it during the workout just because I recognize that guy's authority. In the workout that when I'm doing those workouts, at the 30-minute, one-hour workout that I do, I recognize that person's authority in my ear, so I do what the person says. The way you do what Jesus says is if you truly recognize his authority. If you're not doing what, he's, what he says, it's, it, it's because you're not recognizing his authority. Right? Rosemary Butterfield is, is her name? Ros I'm sorry, Rosario Butterfield. She used to be a feminist professor at Syracuse who was lesbian. Lesbian feminist professor at Syracuse. Now she is married to a pastor in one of the most conservative denominations. Right? OPC. That denomination is so conservative, they don't do praise songs. They just open up the psalms and they just sing the psalms. That's how old school they are. She married a conservative pastor. She's a mother of three. How has that, what, what, it, how has she changed from one, from one life to another? At the end of the day, it's, she says it's because she recognizes Jesus' authority. Through the word of God, Jesus convinced her that he is the author of the life. When she was persuaded that he was the author of life, she wanted to obey him about everything. The reason why we have no problem weaponizing our lips to destroy other people is because simply we don't recognize his authority. The reason why we can't forgive people who have wronged us is because we don't recognize his authority. Jesus is the one who forgave sinners. But if you can't forgive people who sins against you, it is because, quite simply, you don't recognize his authority. Do you recognize his authority? You need to. That's how you build your life on him, recognizing his authority. The reason why I'm telling you this, it may seem harsh, but it is so that before the day of judgment, you will build your life properly on him and not on things that will not matter. This year, let your prayer be, Lord Jesus, persuade me of your authority. May that prayer be your everyday prayer so that you will build your life on him. Let's pray.